Here's a five-foot-two package from home, Judy Garland. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year all our troubles will be out of sight. Hey, Judy fans. This is Mindy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Old Time Radio. Next in our Judy Garland series is her appearance on Command Performance, originally aired Christmas Eve, 1944. This is a two-hour entertainment extravaganza emceed by Bob Hope and is largely not Christmassy. There's a lot going on for everybody, and the first big reaction for me was when they introduced Virginia O'Brien. Virginia O'Brien is that beautiful brunette who sings wonderfully, and she does so completely frozen in her face and usually her body, and it is hilarious every time. She was known as Miss Deadpan, Miss Ice Glacier, and Miss Red Hot Frozen Face. And how this all came about was she went on her first stage performance to sing a song, was terrified with stage fright and stood there like a statue singing. She goes off stage just devastated thinking she's a train wreck. The crowd absolutely adored it because they didn't know that it wasn't a deliberate comedic performance. <laughs> Louis B. Mayer was one of those people in the audience and signed her to MGM where she had kind of a short career about 17 movies or so. And then she was unceremoniously dumped like they did with so many of them back then, even though she was pretty popular and quite successful. Four of the movies that she was in with MGM co-starred Judy Garland. Those included Thousands Cheer, Till the Clouds Roll By, Zigfield Follies, and my personal favorite of the four, The Harvey Girls. And I was actually just kind of surprised how well she translated into radio because she's such a visual performer. She really had a lot of talent. The second big reaction for me was when they announced Spencer Tracy. Ooh, goodness. He's never on any of the shows that I listened to. I read that most of his radio performances were shows like Leo on the Air, things like that to promote a movie that he was coming out with. Uh, he hosted Command Performance once in 1942, and I think he made another appearance after that and then this Christmas special here. So it really wasn't a radio personality so much, but one of the most iconic and talented actors of any age. Uh, he's one of these people where the last couple of years, I went from seeing none of his movies to seeing probably more than half. Each one is adding a layer of appreciation for what he was able to do on screen. And then when Bob Hope introduced him as a swell fellow, I kind of laughed because I'm like, eh, I don't think that's true because I've never read, never read a single good story about Spencer Tracy. He was apparently very hard to handle. He is what Hollywood fixers were born to do. He had notorious problems with drinking, which was one thing, but he also just seemed to be a really nasty person <laughs> to be around for a lot of people. So you kind of have to compartmentalize Spencer Tracy to appreciate the talent and just be thankful you never had to spend any time in a room with him. <laughs> And he actually co-starred with Judy Garland in Judgment at Nuremberg. I've talked about this movie before. When I watched it, it just instantly became one of my favorites. It is so deep and exceptionally well acted. Everything about this movie is wonderful. It's about the Nazi trials post-World War II. 
Spencer Tracy plays a, the main judge. He's kind of the moral voice throughout that kind of ties it all together. Maximilian Schell plays the attorney for the Nazis and does a thankless job so breathtakingly well. It absolutely stunned me. Judy Garland plays kind of a small role along with Montgomery Clift and Burt Lancaster. I mean, this movie has so much talent and is just exquisite. That's the movie that made me a Spencer Tracy fan. It was one of the first ones of his that I saw. And that's when it clicked that this guy had an exceptional talent. Anyway, enough gushing about the professional side of Spencer Tracy. (laughs) Judy Garland comes in this about three quarters of the way through the show. So you're going to wait a long time for her. And thankfully... She doesn't have to sing Silent Night. Now, she sings this a lot, and it's a beautiful song, and she does it well, and that's great. But, but oh, she comes out here and she sings the trolley song, <laughs> so it was a nice change. So, hopefully you have two hours to kick back and enjoy a Christmas show with next to no Christmas in it. From Christmas Eve 1944, this is Virginia O'Brien. Spencer Tracy, dozens of other big time stars that you're going to recognize instantly, and a happy Judy Garland on a Christmas show. This is Command Performance. by you, the service men and women of the United States Armed Forces throughout the world. Command performance presented this week and every week till it's over, over there. Christmas greetings from the USA, gang, as the American entertainment industry joins the Armed Forces Radio Service to wind up its third consecutive year of broadcasting to you men and women of the United Nations. With the exception of a few of your favorite stars who have not yet returned from overseas, we have with us tonight all the great names of Hollywood, and a few from the San Fernando Valley, too. The studio is gaily decked with holly wreaths and mistletoe, and we're all set to dig down in your Christmas stocking, which is crammed full of comedians, sweets, and what sweets, goodies and evening gowns, yeah, toys, games and puzzles, and music boxes all wound up with your favorite melodies. And first out of the sock is your master's ceremonies, comedian... Pool player and fur trapper, Bob Hope. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Christmas Command Performance Hope. Telling all you Japs and Nazis from Berlin to Sumatra, your chances are as slim as a half of Frank Sinatra. <laughs> be an egg with a bobby sock for a minute there. But you know, this year Christmas is being celebrated by young Americans in freezing weather and hot weather, damp weather, foggy weather, and some of our servicemen are outside of California, too. Really? Really, our men are scattered all over the world, and the Army has gone to a lot of trouble to make sure that they have a white Christmas wherever they are. On December 25th, all the cooks have orders to bleach the beans. Beans, that's G.I. Caviar. <laughs> and you know, it's a funny thing, but the men overseas don't like to receive Christmas cards. No, sir. They get suspicious now whenever they see anything that starts with greetings. 
But Christmas packages really make them happy. I won't say they were very anxious to get their presents last year, but when the sergeant came out with a mail and yelled, come and get it, between come and get it, he got it. <laughs> you, boy, you. <laughs> that other tongue got in the way. One soldier received a beautiful sweater from his girl for Christmas, but there was only one trouble. She forgot to put armholes in it. He's now the only private in the European theater who salutes from the inside. <laughs> The, uh, where am I? Oh, yes, here we are. <laughs> of course, more than anything else, the soldiers would like Betty Grable for Christmas. The G.I.s know she's married to Harry James, but they figure that after the war, they're going to kill all the buglers anyway. <laughs> At one camp, the bugler was so overcome with the Christmas spirit, he filled his bugle with Tom and Jerry's. The first time that he ever blew Reveille and got W.C. Fields to enlist at the same time. <laughs> The soldiers couldn't get any Christmas trees for the holidays, so they just draped all the decorations around a hula, hula girl's grass skirt. And it worked out swell, too. They've got the only Christmas tree in the world that can wiggle its tinsel. <laughs> it's on the paper. I didn't think of it. I understand that... <laughs> I understand that one outfit in the Pacific ate a peacock for Christmas. A peacock, that's a turkey with service stripes. <laughs> and you know, Crosby didn't order any turkey this year. He's planning on eating a stork. <laughs> that's the end of the joke. <laughs> if he's smart, he'd plan on eating Sinatra. But the last time, the last time I celebrated Christmas with the men, we had turkey for dinner. I don't know exactly what part of the turkey I got, but if you put a mustache on it, you could call it Adolph. <laughs> Splitting mirth. Yo ho. Men, men, Christmas wouldn't be complete without all the tinsel on the tree, the gay colored lights, and all the fixings. Well, we have in the studio tonight 34 members of one of the greatest rumba orchestras of all time. Yes, sir, X marks the spot where we find the maestro himself, Xavier Kugat. Welcome to this Christmas command performance, X. It's good to be here. By the way, are you Bob Hope? Yes, why? <laughs> well, what's that for? I never laugh at you on the radio, but in person you're so funny. <laughs> we both have an edge on the average cocker spaniel, old boy. little things, you know, after her. Oh, well, personally, I like Guy Lombardo. What are you going to bump out, X? Well, Mary X from us to you, man, by the way of Brazil. Brazil. Meu Brazil, Brasileiro. Meu mulato in sonero.
Thank you, X Kugat. That guy can make a Christmas tree throw a hip out of joint. And now, I'd like you to meet a man who is the greatest authority in the world on wrapping and mailing packages for Christmas, Professor Colonna. Colonna, I'm ashamed of you. You have no holiday spirit at all. Oh, don't be silly, Hope. I know all about Christmas. I don't think I ever mentioned this before, Hope. You see, my, my mother and father were reindeer. Reindeer? Then, Colonna, how come you look like you do? What about your face? You explain yours, then I'll explain mine. <laughs> Colonna, I'll have your hide for this. Okay, but I'm warning you. It's loose around the knees. <laughs> Professor, here it is Christmas. Tell me, where have you been all week? Burlesque show. Colonna, Thanksgiving a burlesque show, Christmas a burlesque show, New Year's a burlesque show. Great, I'll go with you. <laughs> well, haven't you taken care of your gifts yet? I certainly hope. I bought very expensive gifts for everyone. I wrapped them up and wrote to Professor Colonna on the front and mailed them. Listen, you moron, you mailed all those packages to yourself. I did? Yes. <laughs> he calls me a moron. <laughs> ah, but I love Christmas, Hope. Twenty years ago, my mother gave me a present of a bicycle built for two, and I still ride it. Twenty years ago, your mother gave you a present of a bicycle built for two. Who sits in the other seat? Man from the finance company. <laughs> well, tell me something about the presents you bought, Professor. Well, I have an aunt who has always been very nice to me, so I bought her a bull. Colonna, why would your aunt want a bull? Ask her. She's a cow. <laughs> Colonna, it's absolutely impossible for a cow to be your aunt. It is? Yes. <laughs> Lie to me, will you? work, Brushmutz. During, uh, during the past year, you've heard our next uh, Christmas guest on command performance many, many times. And after each performance, her mailman has to go to headquarters and request another helper. Here's one of your favorite gals, Virginia O'Brien. Virginia, you, you're usually so deadpan, but tonight when you walked in the studio, I saw you smile. Couldn't help it. You look so funny standing under the mistletoe with that lasso in your hand. Yeah, and business was pretty good, too. I, I caught two blondes, three brunettes, and a nearsighted soldier on a six-hour pad. <laughs> Say, what's for the men tonight, Virginia? Well, I'd like to sing Let's Be Sweethearts again. Merry Christmas, fellas. <laughs> It was something to have and to hold, but it seems that your love
that you and I were finished until that bottle hit my head. Oh, I tried to be aloof when you pushed me off the road. I feel our romance is dead. It wouldn't have been so bad if you told me, if you told me that someone had suddenly taken my place. Heart of mine is breaking. It looks so hopeless, but then our life could still be sweet and placid if you just put down that acid and say we're sweethearts again. Remember that night in Bridgeport when the moon shone down on both of us and the breeze sang a love song, and you looked at me and I looked at you, and you didn't know what to do, so you broke my leg. I thought there was sort of a strange look in your eyes, but then you smiled, and, well, it made everything all right. Then there was that time when we went canoeing, and you set fire to my dress. You said you pushed me overboard to put out the flames, but I could never quite understand why you held my head underwater so long. Of course, I've never met this person who's taken my place, but I want you to know that I wish you all the luck in the world. And if there's anything I can do, anything at all... You can reach me in room 304 at the General Hospital. Farewell, my sweet. You'll never know how this heart of mine is breaking. It looks so hopeless, but then our love is great. No love can match it. Darling, please put down that hatchet and Thanks a lot, Virginia O'Brien. And now we depart from the lighter vein for a few minutes to bring you some really fine classical music. We were unable to secure the services of Sir Thomas Beecham's orchestra for this spot on our program, but we have with us his American counterpart, gentlemen of the AEF, the BEF, and music lovers everywhere. Here's Spike Jones and his city slickers. Well, Merry Christmas, Spike. Same to you, Robert, but uh, what's the idea of introducing me as the American Sir Thomas Beecham? I'm no great maestro. That's like me introducing you as a fine comedian. I like it better on my own show. At least Skinny Ennis I can beat up. Well, Bob... Bob, I just want to say thanks. Bob, I just want to say thanks to all you guys and gals on the continent for a swell time when we were over there. And to try and make your Christmas louder, in case you care for a loud Christmas, here's our version of Holiday for Strings.
like that boy would have made a great plumber. Men, the mailman really has worn a pretty deep path to the door of our next guest, just delivering the letters you send her. All year long, we've used up all the peachy adjectives we could think of to introduce her, so tonight I'd like to use an adverb. Adverb, adverb I would, yes. Sounds like Durante. Here she is, the delightfully, sweetly, generally Sims. Welcome, Jen. Well, nice to be here, Bobbily. <laughs> and it's nice to say hello to all you fellas out there. My love to every one of you, all the way from Adak, Alaska, to Aachen, Germany, and even beyond. Even beyond? That sure takes a lot of loving, gal. <laughs> I believe in spreading it around, Bob. <laughs> you got it to spread. <laughs> yeah, that's not spreading, sister. That's porn. Porn smorin. Well, <laughs> here goes a bucket full of command kisses to Corporal A. Swartz at APO 595. A female hug to Hot Car Haynes at 726. And a tight hand squeeze for First Sergeant Tom Brophy at 713. The fighting first, third, and ninth divisions have my heart, too. And to the men of Admiral Mark Mitcher's famed Task Force 58. Well, fellas, anytime you're in town, remember you got at least one date. But now, let me blanket the whole G.I. globe with a tune chosen by you fellas as the most wanted commodity this year and every other year since Eve first went to town. Amour, amour, amour. Saber que me fez você que dói 
Performance turns to, uh... One moment, my good man. I'd like to converse with you upon a matter of the utmost urgency. They thought I couldn't do it, but... <laughs> if I'm not too contraband... Why, Jimmy Durante! Uh, aren't you Bob Hope, the Bob Hope? That's right. The Bob Hope who plays all the army camps? That's it. The Bob Hope who entertains at all the servicemen's canteens? That's correct. Got a cigarette? <laughs> well, I only have one left. I'll match your noses for him. <laughs> oh, no. no, no, I don't like the odds. Look, uh... Jimmy, don't tell me you came all the way down here just to bum a cigarette. Ah, nay, no, ma petite, c'est vous plaît. You don't quite command of English or Italian, I mean. <laughs> That's fine, Italian. Don't you take me unaware. <laughs> Shoot me when I'm ready. Grab that pool ball while he's got a... Oh, go ahead. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Boys, he's talking to the photographer. Let's get back to the type, huh? On me more, my petite, my yeah. play. Do it right. You know it's my command of Italian, don't That's you? That's fine, Italian. You sound like Charles Boyer with a mouthful of spaghetti. <laughs> That wasn't in the script the last time I saw it. <laughs> I wish it had well, been out. Well, going from the ridiculous to the continuity, I've come... <laughs> I've come here to make you a proposition. Now, and you can't afford to turn it down. For a mere 12 hours of work, you'll collect the cool $4. Say, you must... You must want me pretty bad if you're outbidding my sponsor. <laughs> Precisely. I love that kind of carrying on. <laughs> and all you got to do is put on a Santa Claus outfit and talk to the kiddies in the department store toy shop. Oh, <laughs> Just trying to mix them up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're doing pretty good with yourself there. <laughs> Haven't they got a regular Santa Claus? Of a Satan tooth. <laughs> And he's a person so sublime, so exalted, that I dare not mention his name in public. Jimmy, you can't be... Yes, Umbriaco. <laughs> well, if Umbriaco is the regular Santa Claus, what do you want with me? 
Oh, now we come to the crutch of the matter. Oh. Umbriago has been fired. Oh, he was canned, eh? Boy, I'll say he was. He could hardly walk. <laughs> well, well, what did he do? Well, he reports for work yesterday morning. Bob, don't button even with a yes from now on. Go ahead, take it. The manager dresses Umbriago up and... The manager un... The manager... <laughs> Love the third grade. Go I'm ahead. Just <laughs> I'm just doing that for effect. I know you. <laughs> you know, the manager dresses Umbriago up and takes him up to the toy department. Then comes his first customer, a little girl with a governess. The manager says, take her on your lap. So he takes her on his lap. Immediately, the kid starts bawling. What for? She wanted to sit on his lap, too. <laughs> Randy, you're a character. Yeah. <laughs> so Umbriago lost the job and won the governor's, eh? Not quite. He made one more mistake. When the manager said he's true, he rips off his Santa Claus beard. The governor takes one look, and he loses her, too. Too? Well, Jimmy, I'd like to help, but I don't know anything about being a Santa Claus in a department store. Why, there's nothing to it, Bob. Look, I'll show you. I'll be the Santa Claus, and you'll be the little boy who just came in the store, okay? Okay, wait till I get in my red skeleton mood. I'll be right back. All right. <laughs> Swell. Well, well, well. Good morning, little boy. Oh, do, do, do. good morning, Santa Claus. Look, it don't have to be a kid from your family. It'd be just any kid. I see. Uh, okay. Uh, good morning, Santa Claus. Well, good morning, little man. And what would you like more, most for Christmas this year, little man? Betty Grable. That's ridiculous. What would a little boy do with Betty Grable? Wait till he's a big boy. <laughs> now, look, let's not get silly, will you, please? This little boy is only supposed to be six years old. Oh, only six years old. Now, that's different. Sure. Now, what would you like most for Christmas, little man? Lana Turner. <laughs> Robert, I give up. I don't think you're the man for the job. Major, eight to the Oakley. Are you ready? Secret my favorite diversion last night and feeling in the pink. I stepped into my plush upholstered handsome. Put my two footmen command on the poop deck and my Arabian steeds going at a gentle trot. We approach the theater marquee. And what happens? The red carpet is rolled out. My two footmen descend from the poop deck. They open the door and I steps out. Looking up from the gutter, I said, Who told you to remove the running board? myself up and ignoring the stairs of the hoi paloo, I makes myself gallantly into the diamond horseshoe, removing my top hat, my nylon gloves, my skunk muffler, and my pet leather goulashes with the neon buttons. I looks around. Mrs. Van Scaler is whispering to Mrs. Murray Hill. Mrs. Murray Hill is whispering to Mrs. Susquehanna. And what are they saying? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Is it Superman? No, it's a bum. <laughs> you see, a vicious rumor has been circulated just because I work in a saloon. They say I'm not fit to mingle in any other circle. That's ridiculous. Thank God the testament to hide part of me. You have yet to meet the Dr. Jerkle. I'm the ranty, the paper, and 
one scene. That's where the 350-pound soprano sings to the baritone. She sings, Take me in your arms and hold me close. Why, the whole look close, the bum would have to be curved like a banana. <laughs> Those opera lovers all rave at Handel's Lago. Why, I've heard better music written by Umbriaco. Now, when I say may sound absurd, but believe me, it's true. I've seen every opera, and I'll name them for you. Tales of the Vienna Rolls, Madame Buttermilk, the Sextet from Leachy Nuts, and the Quartet from Rigamortis. I could go on for days. I coach sopranos and tenors in their parts, because I'm Durante, the patron of the arts. Now, just the other day, they held a meeting at the Metropolitan in the cellar. They says, Jimmy, we're in a hole. you got to help us out. <laughs> Stepping up on a soapbox, left over from La Bahim, I said, gentlemen, let's analyze this. Now take Romeo and Juliet. Romeo has to leave Juliet. But does he say, shoo-shoo, baby? No. In opera, he says, I have but a moment to spend with you. A moment, my dear, to spend with you. A moment to spend, a moment to spend, a moment, 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 a moment. He's got one moment to spend. He's taken three hours to tell her about it. <laughs> and that bum is making a, a federal case out of it. <laughs> then she says, I will give you a kiss, my love. A burning kiss upon the lips. A burning kiss, a kiss, a kiss, a kiss upon the lips. A burning kiss, a kiss, a kiss, a kiss, a kiss upon the lips. By the time he's ready to kiss her, the fire's out. <laughs> There's only one way to save the opera. Get yourself, get yourself new lyrics that have class and renown. Like Pistol Pack and Mama, lay that pistol down. They all gave thanks from the bottom of their hearts. To Durante, the patron of the art. A commissura, Durante, the patron of the art. Thank you very much, Jimmy Durante. Men, comes time in this Christmas festival for a word in seriousness. A word from a man who has played a vital part in the tremendous job of organizing the American war effort. He speaks especially to all the men and women in our army, wherever they may be stationed. Again, this Christmas, command performance brings you a message from the Honorable Henry L. Stimson, Secretary of War. Men and women of the armed forces, at this Christmas season, the thoughts of the entire nation are with the troops. The candles which burn in the windows are beamed straight from the heart of America to the men and women in uniform. Wherever you are stationed, it is your Christmas that we hope to share. I have a very personal knowledge of your service and your sacrifice. I have been with you on distant fronts, where your courage has overcome the fiercest resistance of the enemy. The pride which I feel in your valor has been deepened by the evidence of your humanity and your dignity in foreign lands. In liberated areas, I have seen the gratitude of people whom you have rescued from the oppression and misery engendered by a savage foe. This year, because of you, 
the meaning of Christmas has been restored to them. From millions of homes, the spirit of Christmas flows out to the posts and bases and battle lines where Americans serve throughout the world. From thousands of altars, the nation offers up its prayers for you in the midst of war. In sending you my warmest greetings, I express the admiration of a grateful nation for your courage and fortitude. Through you, the joy of Christmas will return once more to a world at peace. Your Christmas party puts a little reverse English on the ball. That's B-A-L. We're cutting down on consonants this Christmas. And returns to front and center, that king of the dum-dum-dum-dum-dum, the mighty mogul of the maracas, Xavier Cougat. Well, what's up your marimba, X? Well, I would like to do a little song we had the pleasure of introducing. And so, with Luis del Campo doing the vocal honors, here is Babaloo.
on-command performance this Christmas party is a real pleasure. My spies tell me that when she visited England and the continent recently to entertain the troops, her reception looked like the American Legion Convention had come to town. You guessed it, buddy. It's the Tennessee Thrush, Dinah Shore. Hey, Dinah, uh-huh. I didn't get to France on my recent trip, but they tell me, is it true that when a doughboy rode into town in the tank, the French girls climbed right up and kissed him? Uh-huh. Gee, I wish I had ridden into a French town in a tank. Boy, that's a sight I'd like to have seen. What? Watching the French girls kiss the tank. <laughs> Listen, I don't do so bad with girls, but I wish I could. But, uh, <laughs> take over. <laughs> It would be pretty empty for me to say that it's a pleasure to have been joining you on all these sessions, and I know all the gang here are with me 100% when I say you deserve all the fine things that this or any other Christmas season can bring. May God bless all of you. After show. Now, gang, even though this is Christmas Day, we'd like to turn back the clock to yesterday evening and take you over to Hollywood Boulevard for a little last-minute Christmas shopping. In other words, the storm before the lull. So here we go to Hollywood Boulevard and the department store, which might also be located on State Street in Chicago, Woodward Avenue in Detroit, Flagler Street in Miami, Market Street in San Francisco, or Main Street in thousands of towns you guys come from. Take it away, department store. <laughs> Pardon me, sir. My name, uh, my name is Jack Benny. 
Jack Benny. Yes, are, are you the floor walker? Well, what do you think I am? <laughs> That's beside the point. Are you the floor walker? Where do you think I got these flat feet? At a duck farm? Now, don't get fresh, young man. Where's the necktie counter? Aisle three to your left, but I warn you, bones are being broken over there. Don't worry, I can take a little shoving and pushing. Well, you could have fooled me, Daddy. <laughs> if I wasn't afraid of getting my pockets picked, I'd take one hand out and punch you right in the nose. So long, dreamboat. <laughs> so long, you old tub. Pardon me, sir. My uh, my name is Fred Allen. Fred Allen? Yes. Uh, are you the floor walker? Oh, if I was only a rattlesnake, I'd coil up and hiss right in your face. <laughs> now hold your Cobra Chanel, bright eyes. Are you the floor walker, or are you breaking that gardenia you're in for a friend? I'm the floor walker, lily pad. You think I'd spend a minute in this madhouse if I wasn't getting $18 a week in my lingerie wholesale? Well, look, if I... Am I the floor walker of all the asinine interrogations? Who do I look like, Tokyo Rose? I don't care if you're the mother of the mademoiselle from Armentiers. Just tell me where the necktie counter is. Aisle three, but if you expect to get through the mob, I'd suggest parachuting in. Thank you. And where are the parachutes? Sorry, only one question to a customer. <laughs> I'll look around and find one myself. Now, please, please, mister. Look, I saw this tie first, and it's mine. Let go! Uh, madam, how much is this tie? Three dollars, including tax. Oh. <laughs> Well, you can have it, mister. Uh, say, madam, haven't you got anything, shall we say, cheaper? Don't drag me in this. <laughs> if you want something cheaper, here's something at a dollar and a half. A dollar and a half for that tie? Yes, it's hand-sewn. I don't care if Betsy Ross made it. It's too much. <laughs> you see, I'm buying this tie for a friend of mine, Fred Allen. Fred Allen? Mm -hmm. Oh, I heard him on the radio. Why didn't you just buy him a piece of rope and let him hang himself? Ah, oh, you, you mustn't talk that way. Even I wouldn't say that about Fred at Christmas time. You see, I'm Jack Benny. You are? Yep. Why don't you, you buy, buy a, a piece, piece of, of rope, rope too? I don't... <laughs> Look, never mind the wisecracks, please. I'd like to get a tie for Alan for, well, say, in the neighborhood of 75 cents. Well, here's one for 59 cents. The new nifty hand-painted model is advertised in the Hobo News. <laughs> say, that's a beaut. I'll take it. Okay, but the material is awful. It causes a rash on the chest. Good. <laughs> if Alan gets a rash on that hollow chest of his, it'll look like a fire in Laurel Canyon. <laughs> No kidding, his chest is so hollow when he breathes, there's an echo. 
I'll take that tie and put it in a real expensive box. How much do you want to pay for the box? Hmm. Just put it in a bag. I really said that. Not you. I meant a paper bag. I see. Say, isn't that Fred Allen over there? Where? Yes, it is. He's heading this way. I'll bet that louse is going to buy me one of these cheap neckties. I'll tell you what, miss. Let me duck down behind the counter with you. Okay, but no tricks. At your age, are you silly? I just want to do a little spying. Well, get your head down off the counter. People will buy anything these days. All right, all right. Yes, sir? What can I do for you? I'd like to buy a tie for an old friend. Well, here's a nice one for three dollars. No, you see, this fella is more old than friend. <laughs> Wait a minute, I got him. Hmm. Say, <laughs> that's just the tie I want. <laughs> Your author was drafted, huh? Say, <laughs> that's, that's just the tie I want, that 59 center, the, the polka dot cheesecloth there. <laughs> Okay, but I must tell you, this material causes a rash on the chest. Well, don't worry about it. The guy I'm giving this to hasn't got enough blood to break out in a rash. <laughs> Wrap it up. That's so. <laughs> Gee, this is a hot one, Mr. Allen. Not two minutes ago, I sold the same identical tie to... Ah. <laughs> Ouch! What's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's a point, the point that wasn't in the script here. What's the, what's the uh, matter, miss? You jumped. Well, you jumped too if someone just bit your ankle. Oh. <laughs> Listen, blue eyes, that hurt. Quiet. Hey, what's going on behind there? Oh, ho, so it's you, Benny. Hello, Freddy. What are you... <laughs> what are you doing down there on the floor, Benny? Teaching the mice how to be rats? <laughs> No, no, Freddy. I was tired from shopping, so I thought I'd lie down for a while. Shopping, eh? That's right. Brother, you could shop from now until 1980 and still not demobilize your wallet. <laughs> you should talk. You're tighter than the hinges on the door of Inner Sanctum. <laughs> now, don't cloud the issue. What are you doing looking at neckties? Don't you, uh, don't you crochet your own anymore? Well, to tell the truth, Freddie, between radio and pictures and managing the Jack Benny all-girl football team, I have a little time left for crocheting. That softball team, isn't it? You changed Softball, it? I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, say now. <laughs> the Jack Benny all-girl soft football team. I'll get them both. That's what you get for having your bifocals on top, you see. You have... <laughs> You put them on top so you can read all the comedy lines. I know. Say, I saw your team... I got the bottom one so I can see what I'm whistling at. <laughs> Go out with little women, though. Say, I saw your... I we'll saw... be here all night, you know. <laughs> now, that was Hope and Durante, not us. We... <laughs> I saw your team play the other night, Jackie. Who is that shortstop? Her, her arms look like buggy whips. And she had no calves in her legs. That was me. My regular shortstop was home having a baby. 
Hey, Freddie, what are you doing at the necktie counter? Well, I know several people with necks, so I thought I'd get them... <laughs> I thought I'd get them something to rest their Adam's apples on. Oh, well, personally, I don't see anything here that appeals to my good taste. Oh, you don't, huh? Listen, Jackson, you took up my time, picked out a tie, so hand over the 59 cents. Never mind. And you bit my ankle. Well, you can't charge me for that. I didn't like it. <laughs> Listen, Jack, did you buy one of those 59-cent dish rag foulards as a gift? Oh, it's for a friend of mine who writes a lot. I thought he might like it for a pen wiper. I wouldn't wipe my razor on one of those. Yes, <laughs> Just wrap up one for me, too, miss, just in case. You know, Freddie, I've been wondering what to get you for Christmas. Believe me, I've combed every basement. Oh, any little thing will do, Jackie. It's not the gift. After all, it's the spirit in which it's given. That's right. You know, I like you, Fred. Well, I like you, too, Jackie Wacky. And uh, I enjoy your radio programs. You do? Uh-huh. You know, most people fall asleep when you're broadcasting. <laughs> but me, I stay awake. I don't care what people say, you're great. Well, thanks, Fred. You know another thing, Freddie? I think you're wonderful in pictures. Really? Gee, with that face of yours and those bags under your eyes, what character parts you can play? Huh? Really? Certainly. But me, all I can be is a good-looking juvenile. Oh, brother. <laughs> 20 or 30 years, I'll be washed up. But you with those bags and wrinkles, you can go on forever. <laughs> Oh, you know, with those wrinkles, you look like a convertible with the top halfway down. <laughs> oh, you're just saying that, Jack. No, no, I'm not. Why, you can play anything from the hunchback of Notre Dame to Dracula's other wife. <laughs> but I'm typed. All I can be is the perpetual pretty boy. Now, Jackie, don't let your beauty depress you as it does everyone else. <laughs> destined to be a great lover, and there's nothing you can do about it. But I'd rather be like you, Fred, a character and a great wit. Gosh, what a kick I get out of those jokes you think of. You know, those ad-libs you pull. Oh, they're really nothing. I know, but does the public realize that? <laughs> they think you're the top. Well, what the public doesn't know won't hurt us, eh, Jackie? Why, if your fans could see you in the morning before Rochester assembles you... They'd run a mile. Two miles. Say, Freddie, look, here's the music counter. I think I'll try this violin. Gosh, that's, uh... Just one second. Wait till I you... play a little exercise. Are you playing or tuning? Yes, I will in just a second. I will. <laughs> Ma, what time is it? <laughs> Gosh, that's beautiful, Jackie, it says here. Here, you, put that violin down. Who do you think you are, Yasha Heifetz? Wait a minute. Why, well, listen, hi, Fitz. <laughs> you got Durante's glasses on. You can't... Hi, Fitz is plenty worried about me, brother. Hi, Fitz wouldn't spit on you. Oh, he wouldn't, eh? Well, he did, smarty. <laughs> I wouldn't have lost that page for anything. Your temper, Jackie, and you, big boy, you're tired and overworked. This is Christmas Eve. You're just not in the mood, the proper festive mood. Say, Fred, I've got an idea. Take that banjo on the counter. We'll play a duet and give this chap a taste of the Christmas spirit. All right. Do you know, uh, do you know by any chance a song called Jingle Bells? Most of it. Most of it, Freddie. Let's go. All right. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We don't want to sound as though... We don't want to... That 
was a hangnail did that. I saw it. <laughs> you ready? you like our little number? I may not be Santa Claus, boys, but watch me go up that chimney. Well, we sure got our eyes out of him, Jackie. Now I've got, I've got to be running along. Me too. Oh, Freddie, I almost forgot. Uh, here's a little gift. Now, don't open until tomorrow. Maybe not then. <laughs> and here, Jackie's a little gift for you. Gee, thanks. What a surprise. Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas, Freddie. Merry Christmas to you, Jackie. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Stinker. Thank you, Abbott and Costello. Well... Oh, oh that's silly. Men, we've, uh... We've pushed a couple of magic buttons you're always hearing about in the radio world, and we have some new and mighty fine people hanging from the old fir tree. Right now, you're going to hear from one of Command Performance's old standbys, a man who has devoted his time these past few years to your entertainment welfare. It's the old fess himself, Kay Kaiser. Evening, folks. Hi, y'all. Well, evening, Kay. How y'all? <laughs> just being the Christmas show, I'm just trying to capture the all tired spirits, you know. <laughs> By the way, Kay, I've been uh, I've been here now for about an hour. Would you mind terribly if I went out and grabbed a sandwich? How long will it take you? Well, a ham sandwich will take me five minutes. A cheese sandwich will take me about ten minutes. And a bologna sandwich will take me fifteen minutes. Go and grab yourself a triple decker. <laughs> I love that boy. <laughs> Meantime, men, here's a tune that ought to lead yourself a little yuletide heel and toe work. Let's all get in the spirit and, yes, dance with the dolly with the hole in the stocking with Sassy Sally Mason. Yes, do it. <laughs> I was walking down the street, down the street, down the street. I met somebody who was mighty sweet, mighty, mighty fantasy. I asked her, would she like to have a talk, have a talk, make some talk, call the fellas standing on the wall, wishing they were me. Oh, mama, mama, let me dress up tonight, dress up tonight, dress up tonight. Got a little secret, gonna dress up tonight, I'm gonna dance by the light of the moon. I'm on the dance with the dolly, it's the whole dance, the stocking, dolly, knees keep a knocking, his toes keep a rocking. Dance with the dolly, it's the whole dance, the stocking, dance right by the lighting of the moon. Dance 
with the dollar with the whole end the stock is while the knees keep a knocking and toes keep a rocking. Dance with the dollar with the whole end the stock and gonna dance, gonna dance while the lion all that silver. Gentlemen of the AEF, here's a young lady who's traveled many thousands of miles to entertain you. She really deserves a niche in that good old G.I. Hall of Fame. Men, a Christmas command performance for Francis Langford. Thanks, Kay, and Christmas greetings, fellas. It's customary to answer the request you write in, and this is no time to break an old custom. So regards to everybody at Navy 232, B.L. Swanson and all at 726. Scoop, Uncle, and Leroy, Navy 152. Also, so do the cats. Ralph and the homesick Seabees with the 72nd, the gang in Hut 261, Van the Flying Dutchman, Ray the Yankee Clipper, Mig the Whap, Rube the Swede, Ken the Shoplifter, and Jelly Belly (laughs) O'Connor. The whole gang at 464. And all of you who have taken the trouble to drop me a line during the year, here's the song you've asked me to do over and over again. It had to be you.
much, Franny. That was swell. Well, fellas, every week command performance is snowed under with a flock of requests for the familiar sounds of home. All kinds of sounds. The neighbor's piano, flipper horns, the five o'clock whistle, a girl saying no. <laughs> All the sounds of home. Why, only yesterday a sergeant in Honolulu asked us if he could hear someone giving his mother-in-law a hot foot. Well, naturally, we can't do that because there's no smoking in this theater. But what we are going to do is take a G.I. in New Guinea and let him listen to the sounds of his typical day back home when he was a good old civilian in Middletown, USA. Uh, then uh, he got up at 7 a.m. in those days, the loafer. And this was the first sound you would have heard in his bedroom. Joe finally did get up, and after he'd uh, sleepily dressed himself, he groped his way to the bathroom where he gave himself a thorough washing. <laughs> uh, at 8.30, he arrives at the corner filling station where he works as an attendant, and a few minutes later comes in his first customer. Yes, sir. Fill her up. Well, you don't hear that anymore, fellas. <laughs> Later that morning at work, Joe gets word that his aunt had been taken suddenly ill. And early that afternoon, we find him at the hospital visiting her. Skull card here. Get your skull card here. You can't tell one player without another skull card here. <laughs> peanuts, Cracker Jack, chewing gum. Peanuts, Cracker Jack, chewing gum. Ah, yes, chewing gum. You don't hear that anymore either, fellas. <laughs> well, it's a great game, and Joe enjoys every inning of it. His Dodgers are behind by a run as they come to bat for the last half of the night. But the bases are full with two out, and their slugger is up. It's three and two on the batter. Here's the windup. The pitch. There it goes. There it goes. There it goes. There goes the ball game. He struck out. (laughs) And so Joe disconsolately wins his way home. A bit thirsty, he pours himself a glass of milk. Hey. Just a minute, I said milk. Whose day is this, yours or mine? <laughs> oh, beg pardon. Well, it's after dinner now, and Joe has a date. Yes, just the boy and girl in the good old days. And all Joe wants are the simple little pleasures he loves so dearly. Cut it out, wise guy. <laughs> I see, and that's the saga of Joe. The sound story of a G.I. before he became government issue. Knight finds him once more, just as we met him this morning. Ah, well. Sleep well, Joe. Pleasant dreams. Yes, you're going to need pleasant dreams, Joe. Because when the mailman comes tomorrow morning, boy, are you going to get some greetings. You know, our next guest on this little mistletoe taffy pull is one of the most glamorous girls in Hollywood. Yes, sir. Years ago, a girl had to have it. Then it went out of fashion, and a girl had to have oomph. After oomph came, um, 
Well, whatever it is, she's got it, brother. The Gorvacious Dorothy Lamar! While she was singing, I figured out what she's got. <laughs> it's oomph, it, and particularly boing! <laughs> no, seriously, Dorothy, that was lovely. Almost as pretty as you are, Well, oh, thank you, Kay. You know, Dorothy, I can't understand why you've never asked me to, you know, never asked to have me in one of those romantic pictures of yours. You... You knew I was available, didn't you? Yes, I did, Kay. But there just hasn't been a part that fits you. Well, uh, why couldn't I have been in that last picture you made called Rainbow Island? But uh, that was a story where a man and I were cast away all alone on a desert island. <laughs> gee, gee, I'd have liked that. On that island, we couldn't have we couldn't have anything to do all day but tell each other how beautiful we are. Well, that leaves me with no dialogue. <laughs> oh, I suppose you're going to tell me that Bob Hope is more of a lover type than I am. Well, you'd be surprised about Bob. Hmm. He and I have had some wonderful... <laughs> Some wonderful love scenes. Love scenes. Wonderful huh? love scenes. In one picture, in one picture, it was very romantic. He he drew me into his arms and and then and then 
I looked up, and, and there was a beautiful crescent-shaped moon. That was Hope's nose. Kay, you shouldn't talk about Bob like that. And why not? I don't know what you can see in a guy like him. What a phony. Where's the glamour? Where's the romance? Where's the good looks? Hello, Dorothy. Where's the exit? <laughs> now, look, Bob, I got a great idea for your next road picture. I'm standing by. It'll be about my hometown. Now, we'll call it the road to Rocky Mount, Bowie County, North Carolina. That's 20 minutes of the picture right there. <laughs> now, Bob, I'll be the star, and it's all about me. Now, in the first scene, I'm reading a letter from my folks, and it says, Come on home, Kay. All is forgiven. Even your radio program? <laughs> Look, LSMFT, is Dorothy in this super... <laughs> is Dorothy in this super epic? Why, sure, she's what gave me the idea. You know, Miss Lemoore is a lot like the state of Carolina. Take her eyes. That's the blue sky. And her shoulders. That's the curve of the coastline. And her sarong. That's the solid south. <laughs> get back to the picture. Now, the road to North Carolina. We start out, and after we've gone a few miles, we make a little detour. Detour? Yeah, we have to go around a big stack of tobacco. <laughs> then a little farther on, we come to another stack of tobacco. Look, couldn't we come across a pile of arium somewhere in here? <laughs> Let's not be selfish. I've got to live, too, you know. Okay, now we keep on going, and suddenly when we turn a corner, we see a big lump in the middle of the road. I knew we'd come to Crosby sooner or later. <laughs> yep, Bob. Don't kick it. It may be a relative. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> yes, Bob. Uh... <laughs> Sounds like all of yours are here tonight. <laughs> yes, Bob, it's Bing, all right, and we pick him up because he's worried. Well, he ought to be. With four kids, it's a long way between service stations. <laughs> Oh well. Oh well, I can see you're not gonna be not gonna be serious about my road picture. So I'm gonna take the liberty of introducing our next guest. Men, here's one of the brightest guys ever to unload his talent in Tin Pan Alley. His list of hits looks like the box score of a game between South Chicago and Gary, Indiana. He represents the jive element on your Christmas party. Spell it backwards, it's Yin Hodge Rec Rim. But the old-fashioned way, here's Johnny Mercer. Thanks, Kay, and a slick old Christmas to you all, men. All year long, I've been coming on these shows singing my own songs, so I thought, seeing as how this is Christmas and I want you to enjoy yourselves, I'd sing somebody else's. Grab a mitt full of is you is or is you etc. I got a gal who's always late. Anytime we have a date, but I love her. Yes, I love her. I'm gonna walk up to her gate. See if I can't get it straight. Cause I want her. I'm gonna ask her. Is you, is, or is you ain't my baby? 
and lately makes me doubt You is still my baby, baby But it seems my flame in your heart's done gone out Now a woman is a creature that has always been strange When you're sure of one, you find she's gone and made a change. Is you, is or is you, ain't my baby. Baby, baby's found somebody new. Johnny Mercer. Say, fellas, uh, although our next guest isn't going to sing, believe me, he really has something to sing about. About the way his boys all over the world are fighting. Fighting and winning. Yep, this man has a lot of men that he wants to say Merry Christmas to. To all you men in the armed forces. With sort of a special hello to his own boys in the Navy, the Coast Guard, and the Marines. They're mighty proud and happy to have a word from the Honorable James Forrestal, Secretary of the Navy. I know that Christmas means one thing above all to you who are serving overseas. Home. Yet once again, Christmas finds most of the men and women of the services separated from their families. This year, however, you overseas and we at home are united by hope and determination. Our hope springs from our ability to see at last what the end to this catastrophe certainly shall be. Victory will be ours. Our determination is that your efforts shall not be in vain and that the evil forces shall not again be permitted to roll across the face of the earth after your victory has been achieved. Until then, we want you to know that you are very much in our hearts and our thoughts on this Christmas day as on every day that you are away. For the new year, we join with you in wishing for our country the finest gift of all, victory and a peace which shall endure. Now, fellas, we bring you one of the brightest young stars ever to flash across the entertainment world. Loads of charm, bursting with talent, a really thrilling personality, effervescent, magnetic, dynamic Danny Kaye. Well, how are you tonight, Danny? Pretty good? Uh-huh. Oh, I'll bet you have something really sensational for the Christmas Command performance, huh? Uh-huh. 
Some will really rock them and lay them in the aisles, huh? Uh-huh. What personality? What magnetism? Uh-huh. Is uh-huh all you can say? Uh-uh. Well, say something else, for goodness sake. What does that mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I thought you were supposed to be a comedian, Danny. Oh, I am, Bob, but there's no sense trying to top you, the great Bob Hope. Why, you have loads of charm. You're bursting with talent, a really thrilling personality. Effervescent, magnetic, dynamic Bob Hope. Uh-huh. <laughs> and besides, Bob, my files only go back to 1937. <laughs> yes, that is the disadvantage. My ad-libs go clear back to Prohibition. <laughs> That's what I figured. So if you don't mind, Bob, I'll just sing. All right, Danny, what's it going to be? Well, I've had quite a few letters asking for the lobby number from the picture up in arms... And so, this, if you remember, is a scene that takes place in the movie theater. And, of course, it's a musical picture, and all musical pictures are alike. So, supposing you do get in the theater, and you do get a seat, and the woman in front does take her hat off, and you do get a look at the screen, what do you see? Manic Depressive Pictures present... Hello, Fresno, goodbye. Produced by Humanic and directed by Depressive. Now you know the name of the picture and you'd like to see it. But now. Screenplay by Gluck, from a stage play by Motz, from a story by Blip, from a chapter by Ron, from a sentence by Dokes, from a comma by Stokes, from an idea by Gropes, based on a Joe Miller's a joke. <laughs> now you know the name of the picture and who wrote it, and you'd still like to see it. But no. <laughs> Odd direction, finger puff and teary, is Minerva buff photography, Alonzo Tech recorded sound as needle back upholstery by Zachary, Nicknackery by Thackery, Tupsickery by Dickery, and Dickery by Doc. Now, finally, at last, comes the picture. And what do we see? The same old beautiful chorus girls. The opening scene is a ranch in Fresno, California. So what are they singing? When it's cherry blossom time and all it's your jersey, I will make a piece of a pair. I know we can't elope, so honey, do be mine. And if... Up from the gulch rides a hunk of man. He is a hero, cowboy Dan, a galloping yodeling buckaroo. His horse, of course, is a baritone, too. <laughs> I got a bird. Oh, wagon wheel inside of me. Yeah! I've got that. Yeah! The girls are delighted to hear this. But where is our heroine? As the bell rings for lunch, we find a heroine in the corral eating a hard out. She is Mary Suan, the tap dancing daughter of an American jumping actor who left her on the doorstep of an old English castle where she was found by Sir Basil Metabolism, who said, By soul, girl baby, I shall raise her as my own daughter. 
daughter, which she did. But she wants to marry Cowboy Dan, who she met on the strip, and it was Robert's first night, and she wants to tap dance. And Cowboy Dan, who she met, wants her to tap dance, but she knows the face will never take this. Never, never, never! <laughs> That's why she is eating her heart out. <laughs> but through her tears, she is singing a happy little song, because she is also a coloratura soprano. <laughs> She is beside herself. <laughs> a favorite position. She rushes to her father. Oh, father, you must let me marry Cowboy Dan. He owns the biggest ranch in Texas. Bar none. <laughs> Cowboy Dan cannot believe his ears. Bar none? Well, that's the password of the FBI. It can't be. No, no. Yes, yes. No, no. Yes, yes. No, no. Yes, yes. No, no. Yes, yes. It can't be. But it was. <laughs> He rushes to Mary Swan. Mary Swan, you must help me. Can you tap out a message in code? This is a big chance. Now she can tap dance, which she does. But what has she done? She has betrayed her own father. But he isn't her father. He is Heinrich von Schluckenberg, Hodes Blum, and Heinrich Blum, Hodes, the hull for the time, this hull, hull for the bar. Hodes Blum. Blum, hull, hull, is it? Do, 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 Frau Blum. And. The dangerous German spy. Stick up your hands, you dirty rat, and gout is played in Eidenblatt, so I have the FBI finally captured German spy, Dan and Mary about to blend. You think the picture's about to end? But no. <laughs> Who ever heard of a musical picture without Carmelita Pepita? The Bolivian bombshells. I wish you could come with me to my little village in Bolivia. So peaceful there are the purple mountains with the lovely mist and the shining stars. And the little people who live so simple and quiet. And every night all they want to do is... Danny, the showers that have left. Thank you. <laughs> Fellas, our next guest is so important that no one man can introduce him. So I've asked Fred Allen to return to the microphone and help me. Start it off, Fred. All right, Bob. You know, gang, we've been rummaging around in the command performance mailbag, and we've found lots of requests for W.C. Fields. Yeah, especially around the holiday season with New Year's Eve... <laughs> I didn't think you were on it. 
a joke on me. <laughs> now, from APO 704 comes a letter signed, Puddin' Puddin' Souders, Mick the Chick, Shotgun Sipes, and Wino the Wolf. And so, for those, for those guys and all the others, Mr. W.C. Fields. Mr. W.C. And uh, thank you. Now I'll start to read the line. (laughs) I said that, didn't I? (laughs) Throughout the Middle Ages, the use of liquor was universal. And drunkenness was so common, it was unnoticed. (laughs) They called it the Middle Ages because no one was able to walk home unless they were between two other fellows. (laughs) I was the middle guy. (laughs) Now, before I go any further, please do not labor under the misconception. And I always have been a teetotaler. (laughs) In my younger days, I was prone to take a nip. I chortle now at that former weakness in my otherwise strong character. But how well I remember my first encounter with the devil's brew. I happened to stumble, stumble across a, um, I stumble across a <laughs> typographical error. I happened to stumble across a case of bourbon and went right on stumbling for several days thereafter. <laughs> of course, now I touch nothing stronger than buttermilk. Ninety-proof buttermilk. <laughs> I look on my days of revelry with scorn and reproachment and shudder. <laughs> when I recall going to the corner saloon, tugging at my daddy's coattails and saying, Father, dear father, come home with me now. Bring a jug with you. (laughs) However, I came from a very illustrious family. My great-grandfather was a friend of Benjamin Franklin. In fact, my great-grandfather would have discovered electricity, but he was too poor to buy a kite. (laughs) He had to go out and hire one. I got a picture of him at home, standing in front of the town tavern. He was hiring a kite. (laughs) (laughs) 
much higher. <laughs> now, many of you in the audience are giggling and scoffing and saying that I have given up strong drink only because the stuff is so hard to get nowadays. But you are in error. My basement is loaded. <laughs> As I am. <laughs> a pickpocket I once converted told me they have a school in Chicago ill. Short for Illinois. <laughs> a picket-pocking, pocket-picking school. And the beginning rule they teach is no stimulants. They have to keep their heads clear and their fingers nimble. Why, friends, you set a bucket of beer in front of a pig and he'll grunt and walk away. And so should you. <laughs> or would you rather be a duck? <laughs> Back in my rummy days, I would tremble and shake for hours upon a rising. It was the only exercise I got. <laughs> now, don't say you can't swear off drinking. It's easy. I've done it a thousand times. <laughs> In closing, I would like to offer my own favorite recipe to take the place of intoxicant. It's a real thirst quencher. It's called the Raspberry Freeze. Known in England as the Raspberry Freeze. <laughs> Take one cup of pineapple juice, two cups of raspberry juice, one, if you're in Europe, one cup of black tea, three cups of water, and two eggs, whites, two egg whites. Freeze until half stiff. Well, when you're half stiff, everything is all right. I thank you. No Christmas package of entertainment from home would be complete unless it included the gal you write in about so often. She tops with you, and she certainly tops with us. So, fellas, here's Judy Garland. Hiya, Bob. Merry Christmas, gang. Uh, Judy, you sure look sweet tonight. That's a beautiful outfit you have on. Is it new? Oh, no. Only the shoes are new, Bob. Do you like them? <laughs> Who cares about the treads? I'm interested in the turret. <laughs> You don't change much, do you, Bob? No, if I'm in a lovely rut. Tell me, uh... <laughs> Tell me, Jude, what are you doing after the show tonight? Why? Well, I thought we might go for another spin in my car like we did the other night. 
It'll be fun. I'm almost out of gas again. Oh, no. No more of those wild rides for me. I don't trust you. Why, Judy, I didn't hold your hand or hug you or kiss you, did I? Oh, no, you didn't, Bob. Is your brother really a cop? Well, what do you say, Judy? Is it, is it a date? No, no, absolutely, positively, and definitely no, no, no. This kid looks like a cinch. Well, while, uh... <laughs> while Judy's trying to make up her mind, here she is singing clang, 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 what's the trolley? <laughs> Collar and my high top shoes and my hair piled high up on my head. I went to lose a jolly hour on the trolley and lost my heart instead. With his light brown derby and his bright green tie, he was quite the handsomest of men. I started to yen, so I counted to ten, then I counted to ten again. Clang went the trolley, ding, ding, ding went the bell, ding, ding, ding went my heartstrings, from the moment I saw him I fell, chug, chug, chug went the motor, bump, bump, bump went the brake, thump, thump, thump went my heartstrings, when he smiled I could feel a car shake. He said he hoped he hadn't stepped upon my feet. He asked my name, I held my breath. I couldn't speak because he scared me half to death. But, 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 to leave, I took hold of his sleeve with my hand, and as if it were planned, he stayed on with me, and it was grand just to stand with his hand holding mine, to the end of the line. pleasure at this time to introduce to you one of the greatest actors I've ever known, and incidentally, a swell fellow. Here he is, Spencer Tracy. Thanks, Bob. <clears throat> Christmas greetings, gang. 
I ran across a story the other day by Charles Taswell. I think you'll enjoy it. With the help of such sterling actors as Lee J. Cobb, Skippy Homeyer, Griff Barnett, Howard Duff, Harry Bartell, and Elliot Lewis, I'd like to tell you about it. If you please, Major Wilson. same winter sun that dances on the winter snows up north sprawls indolently at ease in the thick white dust of El Camino del Norte, old Mexico. An old man, lean and ancient, his cheeks ripe as hollyberries from the heat, has paused to rest in the cool, dripping shade of a pepper tree and has dropped off to sleep, a habit of the very old. He's suddenly awakened by the shrill voice of Pablo, age ten, who stands with bare brown legs wide apart in the center of the road and bitterly addresses a small, discouraged, disreputable donkey. A donkey! A donkey, you call yourself, Escupido! A fine animal with four stout legs on each corner, a most splendid tail to shoe off the flies, and a most handsome head stuck on the front to point the way you're going. I see. And what use do you make of this excellent equipment the good God has given you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You are a disgrace to all the donkeys of Mexico... Of all the world, of all... Pablo. See? Oh, buenos dias, padre. Whatever is the trouble, young one? What has the poor beast done that you should be so angry? But nothing. Well, then why do you... And uh... that is all he wants to do, ever. Here it is, but two days until Christmas, when a load of wood could be sold in the village to buy gifts and a candle. But does that matter to this one? No. He cares for nothing but nothing. Well, a donkey's a donkey, Pablo. They're all the same. But why? Why of all beasts should a donkey be so... so stubborn? Stubborn? Oh, no, Pablo, that's wrong. But... uh... I know everyone says they are. They curse them and belabor their backs with sticks and call them stupid. But that's because they don't know the truth about little donkeys. The truth? Yes. It's really not stubbornness, but pride that makes small donkeys so... so aloof... No wind, sun, rain, pain, or adversity can touch them. You see, their pride is a shield against all the discomforts man or the elements can offer. What is a donkey to be proud of? Oh, a great deal, Pablo. A very long time ago, a great honor came to one of them. An honor so great that it lifted him and all his descendants to an exalted place. A place that you or I or all the world might envy. And ever since that time, every small donkey has been content to stand and drowse in the sun or shade. For he alone, of all animals, of all men, has already fulfilled his destiny. His destiny, senor? Yes. You see, once upon a time, there was a small donkey. He was 14 unhappy years old, and he had worked hard and long for at least twice 14 masters. He was battered and scarred and presented a most distressful appearance. His tail was not but a piece of limp rope unraveled down at the end. One of his ears stood straight up like a cactus plant, while the other hung drooping like a wilted cabbage leaf. His off hind leg had a decided stiffness. They called him the small one. His latest master was a woodcutter who also owned four younger and therefore stronger donkeys. But Small One was the special charge of the woodcutter's son. 
It was the boy who saw to it that Small One always had a dry straw for his bed and that the load of wood to be carried to the town was not too heavy for Small One's aging back. But one day the woodcutter called his son to him and said, Son? Yes, Father? I have a task for you to do in the town, son. A load of wood? No. No, I wish you to take the old donkey, the one you call the small one, to a shop just inside the town gates. I have already spoken to the owner. He will give you one piece of silver in exchange for the beast. You mean... You don't mean you're going to sell small one? He can no longer do his share of the work. Even when carrying half the load the other donkeys carry, his worn-out legs tremble and his sides work like a bellows. But he'll be strong as the other soon. You wait and see. Give him but a few weeks Enough. And... An old donkey is of little use. One day he might drop dead on us up in the hills, a total loss. Better to take a piece of silver and say good riddance to the beast. You will start at once, you hear? Yes. Yes, Father. The shop you will take him to is the second on the left as you pass through the town gates. The second? But that's the tanners. And what of that? The small one's hide is old, but it will make good leather. But he's been faithful. He's worked hard. He's done his best. You can't sell him to the tanners to be killed. Come now. I'll have no tears. No crying over a miserable donkey. Harry. Be off with you. And take good care not to lose that piece of silver on the way home. And so Pablo, the small boy and the small donkey, began their sorrowful journey into town. The boy was heartbroken and cried for a while. Then he tried desperately to think of some way to save his friend. The sound of the small one's hoofs on the road seemed to say over and over again, Going to the tanners. Going to the tanners. Suddenly it came to the boy's mind that there was a horse market in the town. If he could sell small one to some new and kind master, the little donkey would still live, and yet the father would also have his piece of silver. Well, it was early afternoon when the boy and small one passed through the town gates and down the narrow twisted streets to the marketplace. Is that a tail? 
Or is it the stub of broom worn out from sweeping the courtyard? <laughs> a true museum piece, my friend. Moldy with age and uh, uh, loose in the joints. <laughs> He's not. All right, all right, all right, boy. Take your donkey and move along. We've got business to attend to. Hurry up, please. Now that we've had our fun, dispose of the king's donkey, my friends. I want to call your attention to these two fine Arab steeds. And so the boy and the little beast left the marketplace, Pablo. The hours were slipping swiftly by, and the boy knew he must soon start for home and that he must have the piece of silver to give to his father. He tried stopping people on the street. He inquired from door to door, but no one desired to buy a small, tired donkey. The sun was sinking fast when he came, at last back to the town gates, and stood before the tanner's door. The boy's face was tear-streaked, and the small one's head drooped so low that his limp ear almost touched the ground. The boy said goodbye to his small friend and asked forgiveness for what he had to do. And there was understanding in the little donkey's eyes. Then, just as the boy was lifting the latch of the tanner's door, a voice spoke to him. My son. Yes, yes, sir? I have a great favor to ask. Are you the owner of that small donkey? Oh, oh, yes, sir. I have a long journey to make, and my wife is not well. I have great need of a strong, gentle animal to carry her safely. Oh, small one is very strong and very trustworthy. Yes, I can see. Would you sell him to me? Yes. Oh, yes, sir. For but one piece of silver. One piece of silver? Is that too much, sir? Too much? Oh, no. A very reasonable price for such a beautiful animal. He's not very beautiful, but but he's good. Yes, I can see that. I'll be kind to him, I promise you that. Then he'll work hard to please you. Here's your piece of silver. Come, small one. Do you mind? Do you mind if I come as far as the town gate? You think small one and I are... Not at all. You'll want to say goodbye to him, of course. You can do that while I see my wife safely on his back. Here we are. Easy, small one. Goodbye, small one. You must be very faithful, and, and it isn't forever, you know. I'll buy you back, and, and you'll have a fine stable, and, and nothing to do at all but sleep and eat. Won't that be nice, small one? All right, my son. We're ready to go. Wait, traveler. Yes, soldier. I must make out the record before you can pass through the town gates. Who are you? My name is Joseph. And your wife? They call her Mary. Your destination? Is Bethlehem. Pass? Come, small one. Goodbye, son. Goodbye. Goodbye, small one. Be gentle and sure of foot and carry her safe to Bethlehem.
And so, Pablo, the small one traveled the many weary miles to Bethlehem. And there in a stable, which became a king's stable, he saw a king born, a king of men, of centuries, of life, of death. Yes, the small one's tired old eyes saw the shepherds and the wise men who came to pay homage to his small master. And he heard the voices of angels rejoicing, singing, singing the very same notes his hoofs had rung out on the stones of the road. Then it came to pass that all those who had laughed at his ragged coat, his limping gait, his drooping ear, they all envied the small one, for he was part of a great miracle. That was a long, long time ago, Pablo, my son. But today all small donkeys stand and dream, especially at Christmas time. They dream of the small one, the small one of Bethlehem. Christmas, 1944. Once again, America is singing the carols of Christmas, and command performance brings you home for the carols you've always loved. Judy, Francis, Dinah, Virginia, Dorothy, Ginny, and the Ken Darby chorus are at the mic ready to sing them for you. spending Christmas many miles from home this year, around Saipan, Guam, Kwajalein, Guadalcanal, Lumoy, the New Guinea jungles, where you'll miss the deep snow and the bare trees and the faint sound of carols coming from the little red brick church just down the street. Here's Judy Garland to give you a bit of one of the carols you'd surely hear.
are probably listening to the expeditionary station at Port Moresby right now. Or Tarawa, Tehran, Awaz, Natal, Assam, Yorhat, or Gaia on the CBI area. Well, Ginny Sims wants to sing a bit of a carol that is probably being sung at this very minute by some of your old friends or your sweethearts back in Columbus, in Philadelphia, and in Dallas. Ginny? the cargo ships, the men of war spread over the seven seas, you men in landing barges and submarines, you CBs and dock workers whose muscles sing with the work of victory, you men listening at Atu, Sitka, and Chitka, and Dutch Harbor, here's Virginia O'Brien saying, God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay, remember Christ our Jamaica, Georgetown, British Guiana, Khartoum. And all of you listening to the AES in New Delhi on the continent, the 5th Army Mobile Unit in Chungking, here's Dottie Lamour. Take a hold of boughs of holly. Tis the season to be jolly. Gang, you crews of our mighty air fleet, you engineers, ordnance men, radio men, from Corsica to Munda, here's a bit of a carol from Francis Langford, just as you will remember it from so many previous Christmas days. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious from angels there 
And now, fellas, Francis, Dottie, Jimmy, Diana, and Judy join the many voices of the Ken Bobby Chorus in singing the carol we hope to be singing with you next time, this year at this time. church bells which proclaim Christmas 1944 ring out clear and free in the towns and villages and cities of America. But that sound travels a long way this year of our Lord 1944. We are shaping tomorrow, a sure tomorrow, a good tomorrow, when all men will be brothers. This is home calling, the hearts of 132 million Americans calling. It says something very simple and very old, love from home. And Merry Christmas. This is Ken Carpenter speaking for the Armed Forces Radio Service. now to Washington, D.C., and a word from the Chief of Staff of the United States Army, General George C. Marshall. Since my Christmas message a year ago, a great change has come over the Army. In Europe, our troops with the British are attacking the enemy along a thousand-mile front. American bombers and fighters are covering all of Germany. In the Pacific, more and more troops and planes are being deployed against the enemy, and with the tremendous blows of the Navy, the liberation of the Philippines is now well within our reach. In Burma and China, American planes are punishing the Japs with the vigorous support of our ground echelons. The nation is thankful for the victories of recent months, for the magnificent work and sacrifices of the men in the field. The people are very proud of the Army, and they have great confidence in its ability to crush the enemy's final resistance. This Christmas message goes to every man and woman in the service 
with my personal thanks for what each of you is doing for the honor and security of America and for the liberation of oppressed people throughout the world. I am aware of the hardships and the hazards that you are your daily portion, and I am conscious of the price you pay for every victory. May the Lord watch over you, and may you find, wherever you are, some cheer in this Christmas season. And next to send Christmas greetings is the Commander-in-Chief of the United States Fleet, Admiral Ernest J. King. Admiral King? I take pleasure in extending to the men and women of the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard my best wishes for a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I need not describe in detail the progress you have helped to attain during the past year. You have fulfilled every expectation. Our enemies are harassed on all fronts. We are taking advantage of every opportunity to destroy their war-making machinery and their will to take freedom from the world. Nor do we now have to wait for opportunities pr to present themselves. We are arranging opportunities. While we are all pleased with our successes to date, we must be realistic about the future. We hope next Christmas may be celebrated in peace. But if not, I am confident that you will continue your efforts to achieve a complete victory as early as may be. My warmest personal greetings to all of you and to each of you. I wish you well throughout the coming new year. 